pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Am I? Oh, I am coming through. <laughs> I haven't used this fancy microphone before, so. <laughs> um, morning. For those of you that don't know me, as Al said, my name is Becca. Um, I'm married to the wonderful Jordan, who was leading worship, so you've had uh, double Woodley this morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've been part of Redeemer Church for five, almost five years. In two weeks, it would have been five years. Um, and I've got to say, it's been a real joy to be a part of this church and see it through from the first time we came. We met in Alan Deb's living room um, in a very small group. And now look at us here. Uh, how amazing is this? Um, so I am massively excited and massively honoured to be given the opportunity to stand up here this morning. Um, I've gone over this with you about three or four times and it's been a joy each time. So I hope that some of that comes across to you guys too. Um, and I just am excited to see what God's going to administer to you through what I share this morning. Um, now, before I start, I just wanted to share a little bit of my heart behind where I'm coming from and what I'm going to share. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I shared a word up here about God wanting to see freedom for each and every one of us in this church. And it's been something that any time I've sat and prayed, I've prayed for each and every one of you. Um, I don't know everybody's names, I'll admit to that, but I know most of the faces. So I've prayed time and time again for God to speak freedom into your hearts. Um, I think particularly while I was preparing for this preach, I felt a sense that there were some people who uh, were just really struggling with lies of feeling unworthy or feeling under law or condemnation. Um, so this morning, part of the heart behind what I want to share is just that I really want to see you broken free from that. Um, I believe that God has got freedom for this church. I believe that he wants to set us free from any, any chains holding us back. Um, and I felt this morning that um, he really wants to impart to you all that uh, his gospel for you means that we get to live in a never-failing, unshakable, awesome truth. That when he sent his son to die on that cross, he made a way for each one of us in here to live a life that is free, full, rich and joy-filled. And I hope that some of that will come across in what I share this morning. Um, so I'm just going to pray for myself and for you guys. Uh, I don't have much voice, and, and I love that first song that we sung, so I was trying really hard to restrain myself. <laughs> I'm not going to shout. Um, so I'll pray for myself as well as you, but if you just want to join me, and we'll pray right now. Father, thank you so much that by the sacrifice that you made, there is freedom for each and every one of us here. Thank you so much that we get to live an abundant life in you. Thank you so much, Father, that we don't have to live weighed down by lies, by guilt, by shame. And this morning, Father, just as you speak to us, I pray that we will grasp that afresh this morning, whether we've been in church for all of our lives or whether we're new to this, I pray that you will show each and every one of us anew this morning what it means to live under your grace, Lord Jesus. Uh, we ask you for that this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, you'll probably be aware that throughout the series we've been doing, we've been uh, meeting different people, uh, hearing stories of different people um, through the different preachers we've been doing. And this morning I want to talk to you about a man called David. Um, now, David is a guy that by the standard of most people is a good Christian, a good uh, man of society. He does everything right. He goes to his job on time. He does what his employee asks. He comes home every night, has dinner with his wife and children. He probably even does the dishes. 
Um, he pays his bills on time. He doesn't grumble about rising petrol prices. He cuts his grass every week and maintains his home like a neighbour should. He eats good food, avoids smoking and alcohol. He exercises regularly. He goes to church every Sunday without fail and he serves faithfully. He gives his 10%. He always votes for the most moral party um, and he makes sure he pays his taxes. He grew up in a Christian home, made a personal decision to be a Christian when he was very young and has been a moral, God-fearing, self-disciplined person his entire life. What a good eye, hey? <laughs> um, now, if that doesn't sound enough, let me tell you a bit about what he doesn't do. Um, he didn't have sex before he was married. He didn't grow up looking at porn or flirting with girls. He never tried drugs. He's never been drunk. He's never stolen anything. He's never cheated on his wife, and he's never raised a hand in anger. What a man. And yet, his wife and children are miserable. Um, you see, at home, David is actually very controlling. He's quite insecure. He governs his family at a distance with rules instead of relationship. Functionally, his gods are control. His gods are comfort and his gods are quiet. And subsequently, he's actually quite a distant and passionless Christian. To make matters worse, he's actually quite self-righteous. He doesn't see himself as a sinner. Rather, he sees himself as a mature Christian who avoids all the sins that he should. He conveniently overlooks the fact that he does quite a few things that flow, uh, that he doesn't do a few things that flow out of the love for God. He doesn't actually read his Bible very often. He doesn't actually pray very often. He doesn't actually serve individuals very often. He doesn't repent of his personal sin because he doesn't think he does it. Um, He doesn't show mercy to the brokenhearted. His life doesn't show much need for God, but only need for the rules. Now, I wonder if you see yourself in any of what I've just spoken about. I have to say that when I first read it, personally, I I didn't. In fact, I probably saw myself the other way a little bit. I felt that it made me feel a little guilty. So I was like, oh, man, I actually see a lot of the things he hasn't done. I have done those things in my life, or I haven't shaped myself to be this good, upstanding Christian like he has. Um, I allowed myself, I had allowed myself in the past to stray a little bit. I fought against what I knew was safest. But there's something I learned in those times that it sounds a little bit like David has missed. Um, Through the compassion and grace demonstrated to me by those around me, by my family, by my church, by my friends, um, and most importantly through Jesus, I learned what it meant for my life to be won by the gospel. I learned that through my mistakes and through pushing him away, he would never stop chasing after me, never stop loving me, never give up on me. I saw firsthand that nothing this earth offered me would ever measure up to the gift that he'd given me. No earthly life, no earthly pursuits would ever offer me the fullness of life I have in him. I learned what it was to step into the truth that I'm clothed in his righteousness and live assured of that. And devastatingly, it looks a little bit like David might have missed that. It looks like he may have lost sight a bit of what the gospel actually means for him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at God's gift of righteousness for each and every one of us in here. So first of all, I think it's really important for us to understand what righteousness is. We say it a lot. We hear it a lot. It's actually mentioned in the Bible 538 times. So it's quite a commonly said word. Um, But I think one question I had to ask myself when I was first preparing for this was, do I really understand what righteousness means? Now, in a dictionary definition, it means to be right and just. Um, So for us, when we're talking about righteousness... We're talking about whether we are right in the eyes of our Father. And that's what we're going to look a little bit at in terms of what our righteousness means. And having given time over the last few months to understand it, I want to tell you this morning, it really is something to make sure you get. It's something to make sure is one of your firm foundations because it really is a fundamental part of our faith. Um, But in order to fully understand what it means for us, 
we do need to backtrack a little bit and understand why we actually need it and why he had to give it to us. Um, so if we look right back to the beginning, if we look right back to Adam and Eve um, and read what it says in Romans 5.12, we're told, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Now, the message version, I think, does this in a really nice story way. So it's not on the board, but I'm just going to read it to you. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma that we are in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed our relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of this disturbance wasn't clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did, disobeying a specific command of God, still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. The Bible teaches us right from the start that Adam started out blameless, he started out righteous, and they disobeyed. They turned against God. Sin and death entered the world at this point. Death came as a result of Adam being unrighteous. Um, and it also teaches that when Adam sinned, we sinned too. Um, that we were born into sin. The damage that was done by him affects all of us. John Piper said, our deepest problem is that behind all our depravity and all our guilt and all our sinning, there's a mysterious connection with Adam, whose sin became our sin and whose judgment became our judgment. We're made unrighteous through his sin and we're separated from God. And that doesn't sit right with us. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sit right with me. I feel uncomfortable that somehow I'm made unrighteous through someone else's sin. And out of that, sometimes that's where our self-righteousness comes from. Um, Similarly to where David looks, we're trying to obtain our righteousness through morality, through doing good things, or through religion, through doing the things that the Bible tells us are in favour with God. And you might not even realise that you do these things. I don't think I did. I don't think I ever looked at myself and thought, oh, I can be a little bit self-righteous at times. Um, But I can. Subconsciously, sometimes someone watches a movie and I think, oh, have they thought about, you know, what that movie's telling them? Or they choose to listen to dance music in their car instead of worship music and I'm thinking oh have they got enough worship time in subconsciously we can start to think oh you know is that appropriate for them to wear to church or are they reading their bible in the right way or are they reading it every day um we can start to put things in place that we think make us right in God's eyes because then God will bless us but um and we subconsciously think we have to obtain righteousness with God and you might be thinking at this point all right, well, what is the answer then? Like if Adam separated us from sin, if all well, this death came into the world, if we can't be unrighteous because of it, what is the answer? Well, Paul in Romans wrote this. He said, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. We see in verse 23, again, that our core issue is that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it tells us later on that we are justified freely by his grace. That's the answer. That's it. I could stop there and say, that's it. You know, that's all I want to tell you today, that we are justified freely by his grace. There is more that I want to say, but that is the answer to that question. How do I get right? We're justified through Jesus. That's it. That's that's the simplicity of it. Um, There's no human way we can achieve righteousness. I just want to release you in that today. You cannot achieve your own righteousness. In fact, in Isaiah 64 verse 6, we're told that all our righteous efforts are filthy rags. 
<laughs> Anything that we try to do is a filthy rag. The righteousness that we get is given to us by God. Um, Philip Rajaya says something that I found really helpful when I was reading over this. It says, righteousness is an attribute that belongs to God. It's manifested in his laws. No man can justify his own works apart from God's ordinance. Therefore, righteousness is a wonderful gift from God to humanity through his love. It's the God-given quality imputed to man upon believing in the Son of God. It's not something we achieve on our own. It is given to Christ to all who believe. We are all justified freely by his grace through the sacrifice that Jesus made. In fact, trying to achieve it our own ways kind of shows God that we don't need his gift of righteousness. It shows that somehow we feel we can do it our own way. We can't. We cannot be justified by our own works. But that is what is so wonderful about the gift of righteousness. We can't get right in the eyes of the law on our own. We are made right through Jesus' sacrifice. And what I want to make sure you see today is it's not his sacrifice plus some good deeds. It's not his sacrifice plus obeying some laws. No, it is given to you at the moment that you believe. That moment. That's it. It's in you. There's no price to pay. It is freely given. I was listening to a preach on this recently and they were talking about uh, the sinner, the thief on the cross and the fact that you know, he asked Jesus, will I see you in paradise? Jesus didn't say to him, well, you know, you sinned quite a lot. You haven't really got a chance to make up for it now. So maybe, no, he said, yes, tomorrow you will see me in paradise. He didn't ask him to do something to make him right in his eyes. At the moment he believed he was made right in God's eyes. Now, Paul actually paints a really helpful picture of this for us, if we haven't quite got it enough yet. Um, He says in Romans 7, verse 1 to 2, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. Paul uses the picture of marriage to try and help us understand our relationship to the law. He describes us as being married to the law, being married to a voice of condemnation, constantly telling us we're not worthy, that we should or shouldn't do certain things. A husband that tells us time and time again that we're not good enough and that we should be doing more. And you can't argue with them because they're good laws, but they don't lift a finger to help you. Um, And what's worse is God tells us that the law will never die. Um, In Matthew 5 verse 18, we're told, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear. So if the only way you can be freed by this husband of law is for him to die, but the law is never going to die, then you're permanently married to a fault-finding perfectionist husband. Oh, (laughs) what does this mean for us? How do we get out of this? We read on. Paul carries on and says, My brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law, they were at work in us. So we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law. So we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the code. When we die to our old life, when we choose to believe in God, when we get baptized, when we're born again, we belong to him. The verse says we belong to another. We are unified to Jesus, the perfect, innocent, spotless son of God. We die to the law. That's it. We have no more relationship with it. Because of the sacrifice he made, 
He became our sin for us. He took our sin for us. He took our shame. He took our failure. He put it all on himself. He took it and he clothed us in his righteousness in place of that. He declared on the cross, it is finished. At that moment, it was paid for. Right then. Not when we chose to do certain things, not when we tried to make ourselves a good Christian. You might hear a little bit of repetition in what I'm doing right now. It was right then, right on that cross, he said that you are right in God's eyes. So just to touch a little bit on what life can look like if we don't live under this truth, um, we can look back a bit at David, at what David was missing. We ask ourselves, well, what happens if I allow myself to live under law and not under grace? When we're not living under the understanding that Jesus' sacrifice means my sin is removed. Now, Paul writes to the Galatians. When he wrote to the Galatians this part, he was writing it to them out of a place of despair. Um, he'd just been with them. He'd, they'd seen massive revival. They'd planted a church. It was a really joy-filled time for him and the Galatians. And he'd moved on to go to where God was calling him to next. And as he moved on, some missionaries from the Jewish churches had come into the church. Um, and they were excited about what was happening. They were joyful about the fact there was a new church. They were, they were, you know, they were engaged with it in this sense. But they came with their laws, and they came and they said to them, you know, you should be eating certain things to be righteous in God. You should be wearing certain things. You should be circumcised. You can't quite be good enough for God unless you've done these things. So Paul was anguished. He was devastated because this gospel-centered, joy-filled church that he'd left behind suddenly was starting to be filled with all these things that they were being told. Well, no, you can't be. You can't be right in the eyes of God unless you're doing this. They started to confuse things by saying, well, it's okay. We've received the Messiah, but we need to make sure we're doing these things too um, in order to be right before him. And we can do that too. Uh, We can lose sight a little bit of what the gospel of grace means for us. Uh, We can start to fix our gaze more on making sure we're following the law, making sure we're good, upstanding people. We can start to question whether we've actually come into liberty or whether we've fallen under law. And often those of us that live by law, we do have a longing to be right. It's a good thing. Um, But if we haven't grasped the righteousness that's given to us when we do that, then we end up trying to get it by doing. We end up overwhelmed by the guilt and the shame and the fear of failure because we're trying to grasp it in our own way. God wants to help us understand that this righteousness is nothing to do with what we've done. Probably the fourth time I've said it now, but I just want to make sure that if you go away with nothing else this morning, you understand that it is nothing to do with what you have done. It is everything to do with what he has done. He claimed your righteousness for you. When we miss the meaning of living under the righteousness, we open ourselves up to being accused by Satan. When we don't build up our stronghold upon what grace means for us, we allow lies to wiggle their way in to make us feel like we don't qualify to come before the throne. We don't need to work in our own efforts to put things in place. We just need to remind ourselves it is finished. We're adopted into his family. We are clothed in his righteousness and we are made blameless because of him. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So, just to put some application in, what does this mean for us? Um, if we look back to the verse we read in Romans verse 7, we see that we're told when we die to the law, we are raised in him in order that we may bear fruit. 
So as if it's not enough that we get to be made righteous, we also are told that we bear fruit. Um, he is a God who gives good gifts, eh? Um, what this means is that when your heart and mind are changed by the knowledge that, he's righteousness, that his righteousness is imputed in you, your values align with his. Um, the pastor Martin Luther once said, Our works do not generate righteousness, rather our righteousness in Christ generates works. When we're living in the righteousness that God placed upon us, our obedience flows out of it. Um, I saw a really helpful demonstration that said righteousness is the root, obedience is the fruit. Um, We're told to pursue his righteousness, to pursue the values that made him right in the eyes of the Father. This is what we can give our time to, not making sure we conform to law or religion, but living lives in pursuit of joyful righteousness in him. The root is our righteousness. You might be asking, what does that look like? When we're standing clothed in his righteousness and running for him, we read our Bibles because we long to know him more. We desire to deepen our understanding. It brings us life when we fill ourselves with all the knowledge we possibly can. We love getting before him in prayer because it's a joy to spend time with our father. It's a joy to put our hearts before him to have conversation with our dad. We give to the church because we want to see the work of God made massive in this town we want to give what isn't ours in the first place we come to church because we want to be in our heavenly family we want to worship him we want to build up what god is doing in colchester you see here these things aren't being done out of duty we're not doing these things because we have to we're doing them because we want to because our fruit is in his right our fruit is the obedience through our rooting in his righteousness we're doing the things that we should be doing but out of a joyful place when we have our eyes fixed upon him and, about, and what his work is about, we have a desire to be more Christ-like and put him first, we find these laws no longer feel like laws. They become life-giving, soul-satisfying, fruit-producing fundamentals of our walks. And I've got to tell you something, this Christian walk is in no way boring. It's in no way lacking. The life that God promises you, the life that he won on the cross, is the most joy-filled, hope-filled, awe-filled life you could ever hope for. His gift of righteousness allows us to live the best possible life. Often when the conversation comes up with non-Christians, they can kind of ask you, you know, but don't you feel you're missing out on this? Or, or you know, but you never get to do this. Or do you not feel a little bit annoyed that you can't do this? No. You're missing something, guys. The biggest thing you should be worried about missing out on is the life that he has for you. That's what you should be worried about missing. His ways, his plans, his guidance for how we should live our lives will lead you into the best possible life. That's what you don't want to miss. What I long for us today through what I'm sharing um, is a change in where your gaze is fixed in terms of why you do what you do. I want to get under the surface together and discover what we're motivated by. Are we doing things out of duty or are we doing them out of delight and desire? Romans 5 verse 17 says, If by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Don't you want to live in a way that's reigning in life? I do. Um, when you grasp the wonderful truth that God separated us completely from our sin, when we truly, deeply in our hearts know that he sacrificed his son to take your sin, to separate you from being sentenced to death, even worth sentenced to an eternity in hell, and put you in a life under Christ, to give you a life full of joy, full of wonder. When we live robed in his righteousness, we reign in life. I want that. Do you? I want to reign in life. Um, 
Now, if you recognize any of what David's life looks like and see some self-righteous tendencies in yourself or perhaps find yourself feeling guilty, unworthy or unrighteous, which are things that I've touched on before, if you end up setting yourself standards to be a good Christian, then we just need to look at our hearts and ask if we've understood truly what it means to be right in the eyes of God. When we look back on our lives, I want to be asking myself, have I reigned in life? Have I grasped this? Have I reigned in life? It doesn't tell you that you reign in life by keeping to laws. In Galatians 5 verse 4 it tells us, you who are trying to be justified have been alienated from Christ. We reign in life through his freely given gift of righteousness. Because of what he did, we receive his abundant provision of grace. Now one thing that I just want to bring to light as I come into land, something that God's really placed on my heart as I've been going through this and something that I have encountered myself, um, is the feeling of guilt. I think as Christians, it's something that we can get weighed down by. And um, if you're played with guilt, then this, is, this can be rooted in a despair that you feel over those lies of never being good enough, over those lies of not being worthy enough, over those lies that I said that we allow Satan to speak to us when we aren't rooted in knowing that we're made right in the eyes by his sacrifice. See, Satan in the Bible is called the accuser. He points fingers at us to distance us from God, to make you feel that you aren't enough to make you feel that you aren't worthy. He creates an understanding in you that is the opposite of what righteousness means. In 1 John 1 verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we miss that, when we don't understand that righteousness is a gift, when we don't understand that he's covered in it, when we don't understand the freedom that comes from it, we end up weighed down. We end up feeling unworthy. We miss the life-giving truth. When you get that, it lifts the weight from your shoulders. It allows you to be liberated into a life following Christ, into a life living a Christ-like way. When you grasp it, the voice of guilt is removed. The voice of you've got to work harder is silenced and you're energized by God's grace. Guilt makes you feel you have to do certain things to earn certain things, and that is not the gospel. That's not grace. It's something that I want to encourage anyone in here that recognizes that to get prayer for this morning. Um, We can do battle against that right here, right now. You can walk away freed from the shame, freed from the condemnation. God says there is now no condemnation. Once you confess your sins and come before him, there is now no condemnation. There is no guilt. There is no shame. He takes it all from you. We would love to stand with you as your brothers and sisters this morning and pray for that to be a reality in your life. If you find yourself feeling unworthy, if you find yourself being accused, come and do battle with someone this morning. Come and allow them to stand with you and and just speak that truth over you and pray for God to release you from that guilt. At the same time, it's important to recognize that if guilt is something you, um, you are feeling because you know there's something you need to repent of, you can do that this morning as well. You can leave this morning free from the things that create that distance. And I want that for you. I want you all to see afresh the freedom that God has you to step into. I want you all to receive that gift of righteousness this morning. Now, if we were to bring this back full circle and look at David and ask this to him, I would want to ask him, David, do you understand the way that you're living and and the way it's affecting those around you? Do you not see the life that God has set out for you? You spent your life in church. You must have heard it. Do you not see do you not see the way, that the, boy, the way that your being is affecting those around you? Are you living a life full of joy, freedom and grace? Are you happy? If not, 
What are you missing? What haven't you grasped? You're missing what grace means. You need to step into the freedom that comes from being given his beautiful gift of righteousness. If I was to try and leave you with three words to understand what the gift of righteousness means in a simplified manner, um, it would be these. You receive righteousness through faith, not by works. It cannot be earned. You receive it when you put your faith in Jesus. His gift of righteousness is freely given. It's not earned. It's not through works. It is freely given. And when you live in the knowledge that his gift of righteousness covers your sin and grants you eternal life, you produce fruit and you reign in life. I wanted to sum it up by just reading um, a short quote that I read um, that says, Righteousness is very easy and attainable. It is a nature of a child of God. It's as easy as the oxygen we breathe. Nobody struggles to breathe. The benefits of righteousness are inestimable. It brings a man closer to God as it enhances fellowship with the almighty God. A man that has righteousness has everything. Nothing brings peace to man than righteousness. The world is oblivious to the fact there is no gain in mundane things. Whatever the enemy flashes on a man in the world is fake and make-believe. There is no enjoyment in the world. The world and the sins in it do not give peace and happiness. The offer of the world destroys, it stings, and brings its prey to regret and untimely death. But on the contrary, righteousness is the best life a man can live. My hope and my plea for us this morning is that we will take the time to really get before God and allow him to fill us afresh with the wonder of what the gospel means for us. You can leave this morning firm today in the knowledge that you are clothed in his righteousness, a righteousness that will give you the best life a man can live. I pray that something in what has been said, sung or prayed over you this morning will help you grow in the knowledge that you are already right before your father. You don't need to earn his approval. You don't need to make yourself worthy. You don't need to strive to be a certain way. You get to run alongside him in the abundant life he gives you. And if you don't know him yet this morning, what are you waiting for? This is the best life that you can live. You can come before him today, right in this moment, and you can receive his free gift of righteousness. You can be forever counted as worthy. You can be forever counted as enough. You can have your shame, your guilt, all of it taken from you right here, right now. And all you have to do is tell him that you, that you put your faith in him. It is freely given. You can forever receive his gift of righteousness. Please, if I leave you with one thing today, um, just leave with the understanding of what the gospel means for you. He didn't do all of this for you so you could live a life governed by law. No. He sent his son for you to die for you, to take on your sin and your shame so that you can receive his gift of righteousness, so you can be clothed in his mercy. God declared you righteous. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had over to <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Great stuff. Great stuff.